I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you... Blake. Hello. Before we start this episode of the MMA Fan Podcast, we need to tell you about our sponsor, Free Train. Free Train do these fantastic running vests for you to run in, hit the bag in, and they keep your phone close to your chest. No more do you need to have your phone rumbling around in your pocket when you run or at an awkward angle on your arm. You can keep it on your chest with easy access to your phone whenever you go training. And uh, what can the people do, Stu, if they want to get a vest? Simple. Head over to www.freetrain.com. Have a look. See what you like. And when you pop it in the basket, just before you check out, pop in the code MMAFAN and save yourself 10%. I mean... Don't ever let it be said we don't spoil you here on this podcast. www.freetrain.com. Go check them out. Excellent stuff. Right, on with the show. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but we've got another sponsor to tell you about. Phil Supreme. They're a nationally recognized brand who offer only the very highest quality of natural supplements. Their extensive range includes a range of medicinal mushrooms, nootropics, anti-aging products, gut support products, green powders, vitamins, and much more. Yep, they've worked with fighters from all the top promotions, including UFC, Bellator, Brave, and Cage Warriors, with a solid reputation of providing results. So check them out on Instagram, which is at Phil underscore Supreme or their website, www.philsupreme.co.uk, and make sure you use the code MMAFAN for a cool 15% off your first order. Don't say we don't spoil you. Hello, and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. I'm Stu Whiffin, sitting opposite me, looking very pleased with himself today, Blake Harrison. How are you doing? I'm very good, mate. How are you? Oh, man, I'm excited. I'm excited. And I'm talking oh, yeah. about like this conversation hasn't happened. We're recording the intro after we've just finished the interview. So we're, we're completely buzzing for this already. So, uh, yeah. And they're in for a treat, aren't they? They are. We've got such an amazing guest on. An incredible fighter, commentator, analyst, now a coach. I mean, he's just done it all. 
it's the one and only Dan Hardy. How do we feel about having Dan Hardy on the show, Stu? Uh, I feel it's a bit of a, a box ticked. It's like it's a moment. Like yeah. it was. I, I think initially when we set the podcast up, I, you know, we didn't think we was going to get to speak to many fighters. It was like you know we was just going to do this podcast, and me and you were going to chat about it, and we'd reach out to see if anybody said yes. And in the time that we've been doing this, five months now, like we've been so lucky. And obviously, you know, we, we found it easier to to reach out to the to um, the, the British fighters, uh, and obviously, if you're talking MMA and British fighters, Dan Hardy, you know, he's up there, right? And oh my god, yeah, I mean, he, he's right up there. He's like top, top, top of the list because because of because of what he's achieved in so many facets yeah. of the game. It's not just you know that that huge rise he had uh, within uh, the UFC and before that, Cage Warriors. Um, of fighting GSP, arguably the greatest of all time, mm-hmm. and then what he's done outside the cage, commentating. Obviously, the the the, the whole Wolf Parkinson White uh, diagnosis, which ended his career in 2013, just before he was supposed to fight Matt Brown, might not um, be finished. Might not well, be finished. Well, might not be finished. Listen, listen up. There's some <laughs> stuff coming. Might not be finished. So yeah, I mean, he's just he's achieved so much, and he's just and also. What you get from this as well is such an articulate, intelligent man that is just just a great thinker, I think. And again, if you read his book, you'll really see that. And uh, yeah, I, I think he's he's one of the, the best guests we've had on. And I think Absolutely. anyone that's tuned into this now, you are in for a right treat. Absolutely. When you get to the end of this episode, um, then if this is your first time listening to the podcast, then go and explore the back catalogue because... You know, as mentioned, we've been so lucky to have, have, have spoken to some some real big big hitters, for want of a, 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 an obvious description, big hitters of the UK MMA scene. And we've also gone overseas and spoke to the likes of Volkanovski, uh, uh, Derek Brunson, uh, Angela Hill. Who else have we had on? Volkanovski. I said Volkanovski. I said that. You said Volkanovski. Right? Kenny Florian, Tyron Kenny Woodley. Florian. Yep, Tyron Woodley. And then, as you said, just the creme de la creme. Of uh, of British MMA, obviously Paddy Pimblett. We've had him on twice now. Once for the before the London card, and previously to that, before he even made it to the UFC. Go and check out that amazing episode where he's talking about all sorts of things, including mental health, preparation for fights, weight cuts, all that stuff. Molly McCann, we've had on the show twice. She had such an incredible win on that September fourth card, and she's one of our favourite people. Uh, we've had Ian Gary on the show, who's got a debut at the UFC coming up, and he's going to be a big, big deal, I think, in the UFC over the next couple of years. Uh, and then you've got your Arnold Allens. You've got uh, uh, um, Lerone Murphy, a fascinating chat with, with Lerone Murphy. Uh, the list kind of goes on and on. Jojo Calderwood. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel, feel like I could go on for ages just mentioning all of the amazing yeah. fighters we've had on. So go and check those out. Absolutely. And as we said, we've spoke to some real legends and they don't come any bigger than this legend. So enjoy the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Dan Hardy. Dan Hardy, it is an unbelievable pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, mate. It's been, uh, it's, it's good to connect with you. It's been, uh, you know, 
fan from a distance, saw your cage warriors upon the mezzanine watching the fight. So it's good to talk, good to, talk to you guys. Yeah, that was the last trilogy was it was great, wasn't it? It was it was brilliant to be. I mean, it was an amazing experience to have like. We, me and Stu felt so privileged because there was no other fans really there. It was just kind of us and a few other randoms up on the mezzanine, as you say, and and that was it. And just just everyone that was working there. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not been ideal, obviously, the pandemic. But I, I have quite liked these intimate environments for the fights. Mm. It makes it feel a bit more. Uh, uh, I don't know. I think you can connect with the with the actual <laughs> the actual violence of it a bit more. Do you know what I mean? It's so weird you say that. Like one of the things that I, I sort of took from that first, the first event we saw in that sort of empty venue was I've never really heard someone get cracked with a mitt before like that. I've heard boxing gloves, but I was like, "Fucking hell! Why would you do that?" The first few shots resonated round the round your core, and I was like. Cool, I wouldn't fancy one of them. <laughs> yeah, it's the low kicks and body kicks. They're the ones mm. that stand out to me. Um, the, the, there's been a couple of times when I've been, I've been a few, you know, a few feet away from a really good body kick, and it's just the most horrendous slapping oh. sound. It almost empties your lungs just hearing it. I mean, I, I was surprised that the, the, the sounds of the takedowns—that's what really shot me. Like you, you think a kick or a punch, or even just watching like. The, the the UFC cards that were early that that was it the Jacksonville one when you had like Gaethje and and Ferguson headlining that one and stuff and you 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 kind of even though I've thank God never been kicked in the stomach before <laughs> but like you kind of go like oh that's that's gonna fucking hurt and it and like you you know that that's the slap and you can kind of hear it but I was amazed at how solid the impact sounded when someone was taken down with force and I just thought. Yeah. That in itself would probably make me go, I think I've had enough of this. <laughs> Just like one takedown, <laughs> my elbow's really bruised. Like Stu takes the mick out of me for being frail anyway. Like I just one, <laughs> one little bruise on the elbow, I'd be like, I think I've done, mate. Well, you know, they're, they're a bit better now. I tell you what, the uh, the old uh, the old UFC octagon, Matt Hughes, you remember old uh, oh, welterweight yeah. champion Matt Hughes? Yeah. He used to go into the octagon before the fights and check out and find the hard spaces on the uh, on the floor to slam them onto. No I mean, if you remember, he was famous for carrying people across the octagon yeah. and slamming them onto the floor. But yeah, I mean, I tell you, that, that Cage Warriors cage is, it has got a pretty firm floor. And uh, because it's hollow underneath and it's all boarded, you can hear it rattle. Yeah. And then sometimes when you get a couple of heavyweights smash into a fence as well, you feel like the whole thing's going to tip on its side. Yeah. It's, uh Yeah. I've enjoyed the the empty environments, but now now we're getting a few fans back in. It reminds me why uh, you know why the atmosphere changes so much when they're in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dan, I, I want to take you back and and to kind of get get things rolling. Really, I just want to ask you to sort of tell us about what it was like growing up in in Nottingham uh, and how martial arts found its way into your life. Um, the usual story, to be honest, it was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was obsessed with them. I mean, <clears throat> I, w- I was a I was a quiet kid, you know. I spent a lot of time kind of in my own head, playing on my own good imagination, you know, playing with Lego and drawing and that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I don't know what it was about the Ninja Turtles, but it just it just I mean, it took over the school for a start. But yeah. I, I just I, every every moment I was I was Michelangelo. I was pretending I had nunchucks and swinging them around and stuff. And you know, when I spent a lot of time on my own, but the time I was playing, I was you know quite boisterous and throwing my weight around a bit. So my parents thought, oh well, we'll take him to a local taekwondo club and you know and see if the the real version of martial arts actually is appealing. And 
I mean, you know, for the first few years, it was a bit of a bit difficult, really, because the the instructors weren't great. You know, they were all kind of bullies and you know trying to prove a point and push people around and stuff. So it took me a good few years to kind of cling onto it, and uh, and and until I found a good coach, and that was Mick Rowley. And then after that, I, I kind of you know continued to progress through my teens. Um, but I mean, Nottingham itself was a was a great place to grow up. You know, I was. Uh, I had a lot of friends in different pockets, you know, uh, my school friends were different to my pub friends and my pub friends were with me from when I was 15 onwards, you know, so I had kind of a couple of different lives going on, a lot of it influenced by music as well, you know, I listened to a lot of different styles of music, so... I wanted to touch on that, Dan, yeah. um, and Nottingham's obviously famous for Rock City, uh, and and obviously we've seen you walk out in the octagon to some glorious racket, you know, many times, uh, and I just wondered, like, was that when you sort of found... Your tribe, for want of a better description, did you find was music was what kind of solidified your kind of friendship group in them kind of formative years? Yeah, it was it was definitely a big part of it. I mean, I was fortunate that my uh, both my parents are quite young, so they they were seventeen when I was born. My my dad was you know the Clash and Sex Pistols and the Specials, and my mum was Fleetwood Mac and Dire Straits and Blondie. So I had I had two really good record collections around me when I was growing up. And then, you know, as I got into my, my early teens, I started to buy, you know, NME, Metal Hammer, Kerrang! And, you know, the free CDs on the front were just building my, my record collection, my CD collection. Um, and I have a very, very diverse taste in music. I mean, I probably have about 3,000 records vinyl in, in the other room. And then, you know, a couple of hundred gigabytes of music across from anything from, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, Rage Against the Machine, Panther era all the way to like madness and the specials and you know and then then into bob dylan and you know i i i, I just kind of i use music to kind of take me back to different times you know times with different people you know my mum yeah. and fleetwood mac is very much a thing sitting in my dad's car listening to the sex pistols and stuff and same thing with music uh when i was training you know obviously cox Sparrow was one of my my favorite walkouts but even all the way through my cage warriors career it was you know, Kano or Dizzy Rascal or something that we've been listening to at training that God has, you know, God has really pumped up. And then you mentioned Rock City. I've, uh, I'm not sure what my fight record in Rock City is, but I've definitely got. Well, just to touch on that walkout um, and 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 you know and Coxbara and 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 the Mohawk and that was you at that point in your career, already aware of the kind of the importance of marketing yourself as a fighter and making people go, Oh, that's Dan Hardy. You know, I would, I honestly, I would like to say, yeah, it was about marketing. I thought to myself, a red Mohawk's going to be recognizable, but it, it, it was kind of, I don't know. I, th- that was a part of me. That's a part of who I've always been. And, and I think that the a fighting environment it made me feel like I could turn that part of my, that volume up on that part of myself, which was red mohawk, fangs on the mouth guard, snarling at my opponents. You know, there's a, you know, 20% of, of me right now is still that person that you see growling into the camera. And, and he, you know, he, he was with me all the time and I'm always aware of that part of myself, but it, it's like that environment allows me to kind of turn it up. And, you know, I mean, people throughout history have gotten dressed up for battle. You know, mm. if if you're going into the, you know, possibly the end of your life, you want to go out looking good. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a punk rocker at heart. So that's, you know, that's where the Red Mohawk comes into play. Yeah. I mean, and you, you, you mentioned marketing there. And 
nowadays, I suppose one of the biggest ways you market yourself is social media. I think I'm not sure how much you engage with that in your early career. I know you, you've mentioned in, in your book about kind of like the, the early forums and stuff like that. And, you know, with social media, as much as there's the marketing, there's the, you know, we, we get our the fighters get their sponsorships and all that kind of stuff. There's the negative aspect of it as well, and you have to deal with the trolls and all that. And I think you, you've mentioned in, in, in your book and, and stuff in the past about, like, you know, that, that can affect you, that, that, that negative thing, that the, the forums, Twitter, any of that stuff, people telling you what to do and, 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 and telling you how they feel the fight's going to go negatively for you, all that kind of stuff. How, how do you see social media? Do you see it as a positive thing or a negative thing? And when it comes to you being a coach now, like at Roughhouse and stuff, do, do you have any advice for, for, for young fighters coming through on how to navigate the kind of difficulties of social media? Yeah, it's a great question. It's, it's, it's a difficult space because it's kind of uncharted waters, isn't it? You know what mm. I mean? Like, as I was coming through, we had the Cage Warriors Forum. I'd go on SFUK. That was another forum, you know, Submission Fight in UK. And then... I think maybe MySpace, Facebook a little bit, but you know, it was, it's kind of things have come and gone as, as, as I've gone through my career, you know, Twitter was, was really a big thing. The UFC got behind that at one point, they were paying people bonuses for like jumps in followers and stuff. And then Instagram, and there always seems to be something new. I, I think the basis of it is connecting, right? It's, it's being there, being, being reachable to the people that are invested in you and want to follow your journey. You know, it's weird because you kind of, I don't, I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but you kind of think back to like the Beatles or Elvis, you know, you see one of their shows and there are people fainting in the front row. There are people like overwhelmed in that moment. Now, times are very different now because people are accessible every day. Like if, if I want to see a photograph of you, I can Google your name and I can have a selection. I can find shows that you've been on, et cetera, et cetera. So like, that it's not it's not like a once in a lifetime not once in a lifetime you'll be in front of them on stage or you'll see them in a magazine like it's a regular daily connection now so like we, we share lives with other people through social media and and a lot of people want to be invested in what we're doing and that a lot of people get stuck that get trapped in mundane lifestyles where they you know they're in a rut and they want to get out and they reach out to other people and they live vicariously through a while and 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 they you know find some strength in that and all the guys at my gym, you know, they all play the same kind of role. They're, they're all fighting to achieve something within themselves. But around them is a big group of people that are invested. Family, friends, you know, pe people that have been watching them grow up as kids. And, you know, that will grow as, as, they, as they become, you know, more and more successful and famous. But you have to manage it. You have to make sure that the people that you can actually physically put your hands on on a daily mm. basis, they're the ones that you really stay connected with. And that, I think, is the challenge of managing it, is not getting too absorbed in it. You know, like, I mean, I've lived in different time zones. I'm back in the UK now all the time. But when I was living in California, I'd wake up in the morning and open Twitter and see my dad's been up all night arguing with someone. And I'm like, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. you, can, you can get caught up in it. Was I that arguing about, about you, oh, like me. defending you? <laughs> For me, my, my dad's probably called out 10,000 people on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's always there to, to defend me. And, you know, there's, and, you know we're in the, the age of false information as well. Yeah. There's a lot of nonsense and, and stuff being spread around. I mean, you know, my, my party in ways with the UFC, there was a lot of nonsense put out there 
for various reasons, I'm sure. But even today on my Instagram, I had some faceless guy coming up saying, talking some nonsense about something that he'd seen on the internet that wasn't accurate. And, you know, some days I read it and I'm like, oh, this guy, whatever. And other days, you know, you, you're a bit, maybe a bit more sensitive, a bit more vulnerable, a lot more on your plate, whatever it is. And, you know, you, you, can, be, you can be vulnerable to those kind of things. So you, you have to understand how to manage it, when to put your phone down, you know, when to yeah. sit and have a conversation with the person sitting next to you. I've started sticking mine in a drawer. I'm not even. I'm not even joking. Like I've, I've, I've lit because 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 you get sucked in. My thumb. It's like my thumb has a mind of its own. I'll get a text <laughs> message or like something stupid from Stu, and I'll go. All right, I'll have a quick click on this, and then I go. Yeah, whatever that was, and then I close the message app, and my thumb instinctively goes to like Twitter or Instagram. It just does it, and I'm like, ah, oh, this is awful. What's what's happening? And. I'll get sucked in and it's a time vacuum. And then like, if you've got work on other things, if I'm preparing for an interview on here, if I'm learning lines for a project I'm doing, whatever it is, you've just wasted part of your life, just aimlessly scrolling. And I've literally had to start sticking it in a drawer in the kitchen now and shutting it and going into another room because it will just suck me in. And and I heard, I can't remember where I heard this, but there's so many parts of going off on a tangent now, but, uh, but there's so many parts of like, the development of of the phone in general where um like you know the ref- you probably know this already dan you're uh, you're a tele- intelligent guy Stu, what what's going on is uh they uh <laughs> they, they, have, they have this you know when you pull down on uh either twitter or emails or whatever it is and you get that little refresh thing that was all based on the vegas slot machines because you're pulling down you're waiting you're waiting you're waiting ping yay i've got a message or yay i've got an email and the, the kind of is it endorphins or, or whatever it is that would be re- are released and that's why a lot of people are saying it's crazy that there's no like age limit on phones or social media because with the other things that release endorphins like drugs sex uh alcohol all these things that's you, you've got to be 16 or 18 or whatever it is to to legally do them but with phones you you can be eight and get these endorphin hits and it, it's yeah it's really concerning and gross it's the attention span it's the attention span that, that freaks me out and i watch my, my, my kids and and their thumbs are so rapid and 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 it's and i just see the influence of it not to sort of keep going back to to, to music but now you're seeing songs that are like commercial pop records that are two minutes long that start with a chorus and the pressure is now start with a chorus like hook 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 no no big intros like Fleetwood Mac or anything like that, nothing like that. It's like, bang, straight away, get that hit in, swipe onto the next thing. That's what worries me, that the attention spans are getting smaller because the thumbs are moving quicker. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, one of my challenges when I'm researching is to not keep picking my phone up, especially because, you know, we're all the same. We do some of our work through our phone as well, Mm -hmm. you know, emails and, and responding to messages and stuff. So it is an important part of our day and it's a necessary tool with our job. But then... At the same time, we can just scorch hours fiddling with it unnecessarily, shopping on eBay for old martial arts books and that kind of stuff. That's that's the hole I fall into. Or auction websites uh, shopping for old pistols. Like honestly, I've, 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 we've all we've all got something a, a vice, something that can yeah. suck us into our phone. But like, I mean, you, you just like think our culture around us is changing. I mean. You know, you put a, a movie on from the '90s, and you've got to sit through ten minutes of credit before any movie starts. Yeah. Like that, that doesn't happen anymore. You know, we're, we're working with a, a promotion in uh, in Asia, and they are 
everything, every video that we create for their YouTube channel, they want it immediately to start with fight footage because, because they're catching people as they're scrolling through YouTube's homepage. They want something to play immediately goes, Oh, there's someone getting knocked out and I'm plugged in and it's got you. It's a hook. As you said, it's, you know, but the endorphins are, they are, they are addictive and uh, you know, we're not managing them very well, I don't think, at the moment. No, I, I agree. Look, to get slightly back on track, uh, you mentioned uh, the UFC and uh, and slightly kind of what happened there. Uh, how is your relationship with the UFC at the moment? Because I, I heard you on an interview on, on MMA fighting. This was, I think, quite soon after you parted ways with the UFC. And uh, you said that they they wouldn't even credential you to go into the buildings to cover events. I'm assuming maybe for BT Sport. Uh, is that still the case? Because it makes me quite sad if it is. Like I'm not even joking. Like I think that's you. you I mean, I know that obviously they paid you and they served you well, but you served them to an incredibly high standard, both in the cage and out the cage. Is is how is the relationship with the UFC at the moment? There isn't one. Honestly, there isn't one. It's 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 the weirdest thing. Honestly, I I, I wish I wish I I wish I could really fully explain it, but I, I don't really understand exactly what's happened myself. I mean, you know, the the thing is, obviously, people think that the the Herb Dean disagreement fed into it, and that's another thing with you know a lot of false information being spread. You know, some people think I took my headset off and stormed over to the octagon door waiting for him, which was absolutely the opposite. I'm sitting in my booth. He came over to my desk. You know, it was like it was the whole thing was blown out of proportion and that became a, a narrative in itself, which then went into the next fight island. And I don't think it was ideal, but in, in that time I signed a new contract with the UFC. So it wasn't like it would, you know, it negatively affected me in the short term at least. Um, but then, you know, the next time, and, and first let me say, I mean, fight island was a very stressful place. It must've been a very nice to watch from the outside. And mm. a lot of people must've thought, Oh, it was, would have been great to go there. But that last time we couldn't even leave the hotel. Like if we left the hotel, we were on a shuttle bus to the arena or back. That was it. And like, I'm there for three weeks and I'm, you know, it's, it's like, it's just a stressful environment. So like there are people falling out with one another, you know, there the were disagreements. It's, it's a working environment, you know, and some people are being a bit lazy. Some people are letting jobs slip. And that was, that was what had happened. You know, I wasn't communicated with about a very important job that, I, that needed doing for the McGregor Poirier fight, which then ended up falling through. And the person that who the person who I was I was disagreeing with I, I would imagine felt embarrassed because I kind of called them out in front of a few people. But it's like I mean I've been working with these people for eight years. You know we know each other. Like I don't know what I don't know what could have been said to have influenced the UFC to think that's a, a fireable offence. Because I mean I, I've just I, I've just always done everything I could to promote the UFC. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. was never. Like the, even the situation with Herb Dean, like the UFC never had my back. In hindsight, I probably should have filed like a, like an official report because I'm sure Herb did. But the reality was, he, like he was over my desk when I was trying to do my job. Yeah, you know it was, and yeah, I shout, shouted stop the fight, but I did it. Uh, I did it when CB Dolloway was taking a beating, and I've, I could give you a list of fights where it's happened since with Rogan and DC and. Mm. Sometimes you see a guy taking a beating in there and all of a sudden you realize it's someone's kid or it's someone's, you know, husband or wife or, you know, parent. And you're like, hang on a minute, that person's unconscious. Let's let's maybe stop the other person whacking him in the head any more times. It, it, it was a good reaction. And, and 
That's a, hu- that's a human reaction, Dan. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and I think anybody that doesn't understand how that happened doesn't—they're not—they're not seeing the fight in the same way that I am. Because you know the difference—the difference between a healthy person and a person that is not not well for the rest of their life is one clean punch yeah. in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we have to remember this. I love combat sports. I mean, I am the first person to jump up and punch the air when someone gets knocked out cold. I, you, you know, you know me. I, I'm, I mean, I live for this stuff. I love it. Like the, the precision of delivering a perfect knockout is one of my favorite things in the world. But the aftermath of the person being damaged for the rest of their life, that's what we're trying to avoid in a professional environment. So we can keep knocking each other out. We want to keep knocking each other out, but we don't want to damage each other. So the rest of society goes, this is too dangerous. Now you can't do it. Mm. Like my, my stop the fight reaction was a maintenance of MMA mm. reaction. It was, hang on a minute. We don't need to see someone get seriously injured or worse because then, then we're, we're swimming, you know, we're pushing water uphill, you know, against the MMA media yeah. because they're going to be down on us, you know? And, I, and that was what was going on, you know, during my title uh, a title attempt like the interviews weren't okay GSP what do you think to his game what do you think to this it was so why should MMA be legal you know and that was 2010 yeah well I mean I I, I was actually going to save this question for the end because I, I, I was kind of going to build up to this but I, you, you just kind of touched on something there I being in the industry that I work in, in the acting industry, I'd say that mixed martial arts is very much a fringe thing that people would be interested in. The majority of people, you know, if they're into sports, it's probably tennis, football, you know, the the, the standard stuff. Mixed martial arts, I think, because it is because it is very violent and because, as you said, only 10 years ago, people were debating whether or not it should even be legal. It's still kind of seen it with, um, in a, in a, in a slightly, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, but it, it, it's seen in a, in a light where people, people I think still do think that it's maybe, maybe it shouldn't be legal or maybe it is too brutal, too violent. So when I'm then there talking to other people in, uh, uh, cast mates of a play or, or on a film set or something like that. I'm saying, oh, I'm doing this podcast about mixed martial arts. I do get a few looks. I get a few people going, really? That's a bit of a weird thing for you to do. And I have to, I, even outside of that, I've got like a couple of mates that say, like, like combat sports is, is barbaric. Like, why, why would you do that? Like, that's, you know, you can't do it. So, how, how, this is a very long, ranty question, but I'm trying to think, how, how do you kind of articulate, as you are an incredibly intelligent man, but how do you kind of articulate why it's okay? Because I sometimes find myself talking about like, you know, the, it gives, it gives people from that have had less opportunities in life, uh, a, a goal and something to go down where they, they maybe have gotten on the wrong path and now they're in on this path and they're going to potentially earn great money hopefully fingers crossed i know we can talk about the finances of things <laughs> that's another big question that's going on at the moment but um but you know they've got francis Ngannou is a prime example of that well yeah francis Ngannou is someone that's come from nothing working in sand mines as a child and has then gone into mma after you know 
illegally immigrating to, to, to other countries at points and, and is now a superstar. He's, he's, I mean, his story is a friggin' movie waiting to happen. Unfortunately, I don't think I've got the range to play Francis Ngannou, but my fingers <laughs> my fingers are still crossed, guys. To any, but, but getting back to it, like, how, how, how do you, to, to anyone that might say to you, hey, Dan, I, I think MMA is, is barbaric. I, I, I don't think anyone should be profiting or earning money even the people themselves from from fighting each other in that kind of brutal way. How do you say, hang on a minute, this is why it's absolutely okay? Well, if, if we take aside, if we put aside the, the the professional and the you know the potential to improve lifestyle and, and make money, if we if we put that to one side for a minute and we we acknowledge the fact that a big part of us is still very much animalistic, you know, we still have. We still have animal tendencies. We still have tribal tendencies. We, we're working with with a whole bunch of different things going on in our brain. Some stuff can comprehend Instagram. Other stuff wants to run into the forest with a tight group of friends and never talk to anybody ever again. You know, I mean, we, we've got these we've got these plates spinning in our head, right? One of those plates is we are a small pack, and the alpha males are fighting amongst themselves. Now, our pack now is worldwide, and there are, there are billions of us. So the alpha males rise to the top and they get, you know, they get uh, roster places in the UFC and they become boxers and they take to other, other professional sports and they kind of battle it out. I mean, all, you know, all, prof- all sports really are war games in, in one way or another. You know, it's all, it's either in application or strategy. It's, it's preparation for war. So with combat sports, we're, we're pretty much as close to the, as close to what sport is for humans what we've been doing since back in the day and what we do to, to resolve any kind of issues that we've got internally. Like we do fight it out, you know, like you can't deny that you look into the animal kingdom anywhere. It is red in tooth and claw as, as the saying is like animals fight it out amongst themselves. Insects do even, even one, one plant will take over another, another uh, space and occupy it. You know, it's, Everything is about consuming the person next to it or consuming the thing next to it. And we have to acknowledge that a part of our drive is still innate. It's still, it's still driving us in that direction. That's why people into politics and into business, they all start climbing over one another and greed takes over because it's a, it's a natural process. It's the process that's inside us. It's a survival mechanism that's gone completely out of control. But if we can strip it back to what it actually is and we can find a home for it, like how many young men of, of our generation were football hooligans? Mm. Like, like I could think of a good few friends of mine. I know guys at my gym right now that are, are members of firms. And the, the, that is connecting with that tribal instinct, that feeling of belonging to something, but also that feeling to compete, to aggressively compete. And, of course, that's not a healthy environment to do it. But then if you get rid of mixed martial arts, if you get rid of boxing, kickboxing and all these things, all of those people and that, that drive to compete in a, in a competitive fighting manner will manifest elsewhere. And usually people will try and control it and suppress it and it will, you know, it will, it will be you know, fighting on the football pitch or it will be down the pub drinking or you know, it will be something even worse. It's that, that instinct within us manifests and we need a space within society for people to express <laughs> it safely and in a controlled environment, you know? You, you want two people that really love fighting to be evenly matched in a medically checked environment with a person that can step in and save them if necessary. 
You don't want those two people to bump into somebody else on the street who doesn't want to fight. Mm. And that instinct is still within them. Yeah. Right. Like it's, we, we, we so often try and suppress what we are as, as individuals. And some of us are more animalistic than others. And I don't think there's anything wrong with identifying with that, especially if we can find a home for it, which in my idea is mixed martial arts. It's the perfect place. And there is an appetite for it. I mean, it's manifesting in being up a boxing and all different kinds of stuff. But um, it, it's always been a part of our culture. I just think we need to understand how to embrace it and then protect the people that are taking part. Do you think that, like, I mean, maybe I'm looking at the world through, like, rose-tinted glasses here, but a lot of those kind of, like, violent societal problems, I mean, we saw it with the Euros earlier this year. I, I, it was pretty disgusting, and there's probably a lot of people out there going, we should be able to host a major tournament. No, we clearly can't. You're storming your own frigging stadiums, mate. What are you doing? Um, and the, the, this, the, this, like, central London, not even Wembley, but central London was just a abysmal just like bottles everywhere people going mad people with blood all over them do you think that if maybe <coughs> combat sports were more widely accessible and accepted by people that those kind of more violent societal problems that we're getting would would decrease i i, I definitely think they'd decrease i, I definitely think that the, uh, I mean, a lot of those, a lot of those circumstances, they stem from, they stem from from people being frustrated and feeling oppressed and suppressed, and you know, not feeling like a good version of themselves. I mean, that's a that's a, a greater pandemic, a, you know, a more cultural pandemic, anyway, that needs fixing, you know, through generations, and that's a, a much much longer conversation. But I do think a part of that rehabilitation of society includes combat sports. I think, you know, any kind of wrestling, grappling, you know, striking arts, as long as it's controlled and, and, and managed, I think they're all healthy ways of, of, of understanding your own, your own limitations and, um, you know, growing on a, on a daily basis, but in a, in a way that's going to be, you know, humble and balanced as opposed to it's going to be ego driven and expectant that everybody else is going to lay down for them. You know, life is about struggle. And if you accept that struggle, then you know, you can work through it. And, and I don't know, I, I think, I think you get a certain hardening from that kind of thing, which is healthy. It's a gradual callus that you build, which prepares you for other things in the world that you might need a callus for. And I think it's a healthy environment to grow that callus and to also grow friends. And I mean, we have so many people coming into the gym that are, you know, that they're, they're, they're suffering with, you know, with depression and within sort of six weeks of training, they're benefiting and yeah they're benefiting because of the exercise but because of the people around them in the gym as well i mean you find in your tribe we go back to the rock city thing you know you find your tribe and and people people that feel angry are usually disconnected from that tribe and disconnected from their self as, as a result and you you in terms of getting into martial arts early i, I really wanted to ask you about that as well because you know it you again in reading your your book you seem to have some very tough teachers and from my kind of very uneducated opinion of you know not really ever doing a, a martial art properly before especially not as, as as a child really um for a long period it seemed to me like it was it was a bit much that some of the things you described were like I wouldn't want my daughter to have a teacher that did that to her you know so do, do you think it's important like looking back on those moments, do you think those moments 
help to mould you in a good way? Or do you look back on it like I do and go, no, I mean, I, I went through it, but it was definitely too much. Those teachers were a bit too harsh and that definitely wouldn't fly today. Yeah, what, what 100%. And I think, I mean, I, you know, I think there is a, there is a general problem within, I mean, within, within all organized sports and, and organizations, but, you know, within martial arts, a lot of people gravitate towards it because they are, you know, they're feeling victimized. They're feeling afraid. They, they want something to strengthen them. So they feel, they feel good outwardly, you know, they feel confident in public. And sometimes that doesn't, that, that doesn't, you know, manifest in a positive way. Sometimes we get people with a big ego. And I, and I think, you know, with mixed martial arts, because it's so to the point, it's so direct, there's no bullshit in mixed martial arts. You know, you, you can't do, you can't do techniques that don't work. You can't teach techniques that don't work because they get found out immediately. So I think, I think we've shed a lot of that because of mixed martial arts, but throughout general martial arts, for sure, there's problems, you know, the, you could go into a, into a jiu-jitsu school or a taekwondo school and the person running the place could be a complete, complete egomaniac. They're, you know, they, they think that their way of coaching is to toughen people up is to push people around and bully them. And honestly, I experienced more of those kind of coaches when I was a kid. And I can imagine that so many people have been put off martial arts by walking into McDojo and seeing, you know, this dickhead with his, with his gut hanging over his back. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, the, the best example of it, and every martial artist I show it to, they go, that is on the money, is the Jim Carrey uh, in Living Colour. Have you seen it? <laughs> no, I haven't. Right? I mean, you've got to see it. It's, it's a classic sketch. And he's like, he's coming in and he's pulling on his black belt and he's telling them how good he is. He's got world champion across his back. And th- those people those people do show up from time to time in martial arts. But I... I do feel like mixed martial arts has started to weed them out a lot. And I, and I think that's a real, a real good thing. Um, I mean, you, you've seen the rough house uncensored show on the, on the YouTube, I'm sure it's, yeah. it, it's chaos in our gym, but we are, we are a family of misfits. And I think every gym that you walk into, you'll find that. And everyone. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Everyone kind of finds their place, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Um, you, you've mentioned, you know, th- things that, that, that drive people several times on this chat and you've chosen a, a, an industry, Dan, that's, that's very difficult to excel in both physically and certainly financially. Um, tell me about how driven you are and what fuels that. Oh, it's that, it's that moment where, and you've got to kind of put yourself in this mindset, which is, it's probably not a healthy thing for some people to do, but I, I, I've done it lots of times in my life. And I think, I think it's healthy to do from time to time. You've got to, you've got to think of that moment right before you die. And you've got to think, you've got to, you've got to look at your life in, in retrospect and kind of judge it. Right. You've got to, I mean, otherwise you wake up every day and you kind of got no direction. Like, what am I trying to do? Like, what's, what kind of person am I trying to be? What, what impression do I want to leave when I, when I do leave? What legacy do I want to leave behind? How can I influence the people around me so they don't think I was a shithead when I'm gone? You know, like, I don't know. I, I think, I think that's the easiest place to find motivation. I think the worst thing to, to, to do would be to, like, I mean, I saw something the other day of a guy that had been, uh, you know, he'd been locked up for like some kind of horrendous crime when he was, when he was young and he was released 86. And I just, I just, for a, for a couple of minutes, I just thought, thought to myself about that, that day that he stopped, stepped out after 86, you know, you know, most of his life in prison, like, what would, what, like how much regret would he have had of all the years that he wasted? I don't want to regret anything. You know, I don't want to look back and go, I should have, I should have done that. I should have, I should have had that conversation. I should have met that person. You know, like, I think that's what drives me. And, and, and overall is, I guess I want to, I want to try and keep pushing martial arts forward. You know, I've read a lot of books with the, one of the most influential is the Tao Jeet Kune Do. And that was, that book was unfinished. You know, Bruce Lee writes that in it, you know, this is not a finished process. And even when I'm done, it won't be a finished process. I'll do everything I can to push it forward, but I'd love to come back in a thousand years time and see where MMA is because there's so much more to, to learn. Uh, and, and I know that I can only, I can only push it forward a fraction but that'll be the fraction that I contributed towards. And on that day when I go, I'll go, well, that was, that was the effort that I put forward and I'm happy with it. Oh, fucking hell. I need to take a moment, Dan. That's, 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 good, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that's true though, isn't it? It's great. I, I mean, I have to say, I spend a lot of my life worrying like, oh, is this, um, like even to be fair, even with this podcast, I, I mentioned earlier about like the kind of like the acting industry and the kind of like, <laughs> slightly kind of looking down their nose at MMA and stuff. And um, I was like, is doing this going to affect me? Are people going to look at me half my Instagram posts now? are all like, I've lost loads of followers on Twitter because most of my posts now are all just like MMA stuff. And uh, I'm like, oh, is that going to in any way affect me getting jobs? And, and I think about loads. I never do panel shows. I never do anything like that. I did something recently that I'm not allowed to talk about. That's like a big charity thing that will air next year. And it's the first time I've ever like been me other than this podcast and stuff. 
This is the first time I've ever been me on anything. I'm always hiding behind like a character and stuff. And everything you do, you just go, oh shit, is that going to affect the acting crew? Is that going to affect this or whatever? So you're constantly in a state of like, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, I don't know about that. And exactly what you've just said, just thinking, well, when you're on your deathbed, are you going to look back on like, for example, doing this podcast and go, that was a bad idea. You go, no, it was fucking great. I was talking to Dan Hardy. It was great. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But I think that's a wonderful thing to, to look at your life in retrospect. I think it's great advice for anyone out there to go, when I'm on my deathbed, am I going to look back on these moments and go, I shouldn't have done that. I was a dick. Or am I going to go, no, that was brilliant. That was a, that was a great thing to do. It made me a better person or it just gave me a, a, an amazing experience, you know? And yeah, I think that's brilliant. It's been a rough year for you know for 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 everybody, hasn't it? There's been you know there's been a lot more kind of the re- reminders of death in the media with the pandemic and stuff, and people have lost people around them, and you know, like I think everybody's family's been affected by it in some way, and and you just kind of, I mean, I, I look at the older people in my family, and I think to myself, you know, what like what what's your retrospect like on your life you know how do you feel about it and and what is the most important and I mean you know Veronica and I were having a conversation about it the other day I think it comes back to the same thing it's well these people around me you know these people around me it's not that that Twitter troll that I was arguing with 40 years ago it's it's these people around me that I see every day that we grow together and we learn together and you know kind of carry each other sometimes that's I think that's what it that's that's the most important thing right Absolutely. Well, I mean, how long has been going? Forty-six minutes, and I mean, that's got to probably be a record for any podcast that, or interview that you've had where the word "wolf Parkinson white syndrome" hasn't been brought up yet. <laughs> so we feel it's about right now to mention that. <laughs> Do you have bets um, with Veronica? You're like, are they going to be under or over half an hour before you mention wolf Parkinson white? What's going on? What are we going for? Um. I just want to know how you processed that diagnosis, uh, you know, mentally when, when you got that. Like, how, what was the kind of process of dealing with that? Can I can I briefly interject and say, for anyone that doesn't know, could you? And I know you've done this a million times. So you must be bored senseless. <laughs> could you give us the Dan Hardy abbreviated version of what? Because you've got Wolf Park Wolf Parkinson White pattern, not yeah. syndrome. Could you give us, just for anyone that doesn't know about it, a, a, a quick thing of like what it actually is? Yeah, so, so Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome is an additional electrical pathway in the heart which creates a second, a second heartbeat. And the danger with that is that it, it, can, it can cause cardiac arrest. And depending on where the, the additional... So basically, like right in the, right in the heart, the centre of the heart, is a bunch of cells that produce an electrical current. Sometimes they can develop elsewhere in the heart, and that's that can that can cause complications, especially with elevated heart rates. And people with Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, they experience, you know, like racing heart palpitations and those kind of things. Like some uh, people have told me they can be sitting on the sofa watching a movie and all of a sudden their heart rate's at 140 and they've done nothing. And, I mean, that that sounds terrifying. And there are, you know, several things, obviously, that can be done to fix that. Um, I don't have that. I've never had any symptoms and nothing I mean, as you can imagine, I've, I've pushed my heart rate a, a fair few times over the years and um, it's been pushed and I've never had a problem, never had an issue. So the the dealing with the diagnosis was a weird one because I didn't feel like anything was wrong. And I was four weeks out from a fight and I very much felt like I could have stepped into the octagon and, and done my job. Um, 
I also, I was in Vegas and I didn't really trust the doctors because obviously the healthcare system's different over there. And I did kind of feel like I was being railroaded into something that I didn't need, especially because when I said to him, I'm, I'm fighting in four weeks, he's like, oh yeah, no, you'll be in and out in a couple of days. I'm like, I'm not sure you quite comprehend what the sport is. I mean, you want to, you want to cut me on my neck and on my femoral artery and then have someone punch and strangle me in a, in a, in a couple of weeks. It was just, anyway, the whole thing was weird. Spoke to my GP at home and he was like, just don't touch it. Come back here and we'll do some tests and stuff. But like, I mean, the, the following few months, because I was, I don't know, I was kind of, I was kind of in a bit of a limbo because all of a sudden it was like, I'd been told by the docs in Vegas that I wasn't going to be able to fight unless I went through this procedure, this ablation. And so I'd done a bit of research. I'd been told not to by my doctor. And um, I was just kind of stuck for a while because I, I, was, I didn't want it doing. I didn't feel like I needed it doing. Um, I didn't really trust the doctor. So then I was just kind of stuck, you know, and, and I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel comfortable going into MMA gyms because I found it frustrating because I felt, you know, I always like to have a direction with training and because I didn't feel like I was ever going to be able to fight again. I, you know, it made me angry to be in there, to be honest. And, and especially to watch other people train and kind of, kind of half-arse it and, you know, like, you don't know what you've got. All of a sudden it had been taken away from me and it was, not only it was was it my lifestyle and my job, but it was my identity as well, of course, mm. you know. Um, and, yeah, so I just kind of, I kind of drifted for a few months, uh, travelled around the US and, you know, got into hot yoga and spent a lot of time sleeping outside and, you know, just, just had a, it was, I mean, it was a great time, you know, it was at a bunch of mushrooms and, you know, just, grew my mind a bit I did a lot of reading and it was a really good time but it it was I didn't know where I was going and I ended up having a you know having a conversation with Lorenzo and Dana and they said you know that they want me to to get into commentary so a couple of years had flown by before I'd even realized and then I went and got retested um and I've actually just been in contact with the cardiologist again today um basically I'm, I'm, I'm I'm all clear I mean there is a there is a wolf Parkinson white pattern, but but the the nature of it is 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 like almost zero risk. There's no reason why I can't be competing. So I've, I've got uh, I've just actually forwarded the letter to a couple of other promotions who I've been speaking to who are interested in matching me. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I am I am keen on getting back in there. I, ideally, John Wayne Parr cage Muay Thai because that just sounds like a lot of fun. Um, sounds incredible, Dan. We uh, we we saw a very respectful. Twitter conversation between a pair of you and I was literally screenshotted it sent it to Blake I was like damn I'll be fine John Wayne Parr this would be incredible <laughs> yeah it would be a good one you know I mean he's he's getting on a bit as well I mean what is he I think he's 45 now I'm, I'm 40 next year but it's I don't know I mean I think I think times are changing as well around combat sports I mean Anderson Silva's looking incredible right now as a boxer you know, everyone's having a comeback, and some some people maybe you know Holyfield maybe a bit too late, but yeah. like I, I don't I don't think I don't think forties old for a fighter, especially you know with a bit of wisdom and and some uh, you know some awareness and some knowledge. You don't want to be a thuggish brawler at forty years old, but I was never really a thuggish brawler. I think that was kind of a um, you know a narrative that was spun that didn't really suit me. Mm. I think I played that up a little bit, but. Realistically, I've, I've, I was only I was only cut once. I've only been knocked out once. I've literally only ever had five stitches in my life. Like if you think of some of these guys, like if you like if you look yeah. at the Diaz brothers, oh my god, yeah, right. They look like they've been dragged down the road by you know 
tied to the back of a car. Like I, I'm not, I don't have the same kind of wear and tear as these guys. And because of the, the way I've been living for the last eight years, I feel like I've been at MMA University. Like, I feel like I've just absorbed so much information that it would be a waste not to step in there and see if I can use it. Well, yeah, I mean, you, and you, you speak about that, that experience of being at like a, a, the MMA University, you're calling it the last eight years. Your breakdowns are incredible. Like, you, you, I love, like, I'm scrolling through Instagram and, oh, one of the Dan Hardy breakdowns. I know you've got one about Volkanovski out at the moment and the shows on BT Sport and all that stuff. Uh, and all I could, when I watch it, though, what I do think is, God, do, you're incredibly good at this and you make it really easy for the layman's like myself to even understand the, the, the minutiae of what's going on. And there must be hours and hours of watching these fights that just go into a few minutes of, of, of spoken analysis. But all I can think is, if I was one of those fighters, I'd be so pissed off. I'd be like, Dan, <laughs> shut up, mate. Like, stop, stop telling them what I'm going to do. Like, for fuck's sake, Dan. Like, do, do you ever have any... Firstly, I want to know, like, do you have a process? Like, what what goes into the breakdowns? And then I really do want to know if any fighters have said to you, Dan, mate, calm down because you're giving away all my good moves. <laughs> so, yeah, talk me through both those. Yeah, well, the, 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 I'll answer the, the question about the other fighters. So I've had a few different reactions. The one that stands out to me, I think we've got it on video as well somewhere on the channel. Um, I just finished an interview with Max Holloway for BT Sport, and he stood up, and as he was walking out the room, he turned around and he went, Hey, stop giving away all my tricks. <laughs> I've had a few guys that have said that. To be honest, a lot of fighters, they like it because there's a lot of stuff that is instinctive. You know, a lot of stuff that's been trained into them by a good coach and that they're not really thinking about and they just, they work automatically. And, you know, sometimes they don't recognize the patterns themselves that I'm pointing out. So I, a lot of fighters seem to like it. I've had, I've had a few a few teams try and recruit me to do breakdowns of their opponents as well. Which I wondered if that would happen. Yeah. I've, I've not I've not done it yet because obviously they were, they're in the UFC, so I, I didn't want to be taking jobs within the organisation mm. that I was working for. But now I'm I'm probably going to launch a, an analysis company at some point to offer that to fighters because there seems to be an wow. appetite for it. Um, but yeah, the the, the process of, of those breakdowns is. I mean, honestly, it shifts every time. And it also depends how familiar the fighters are. But say with the BT Sport breakdown, the one that's just gone up, that's that's probably the most in-depth. And, you know, because I use UFC footage for that one, I like to make sure that I've gone through everything. I need to make sure I've checked everything, even though I've probably watched the fights five, six times already. Um, it, I find it useful to go back as far as I can into their career and watch early stuff and then watch their career chronologically. Because then I can see the development. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, all of a sudden his footwork's gotten a lot better. Oh, he's been doing some training with Freddie Roach or, you know, Mm. whatever. And I can see correlations or maybe he spent six weeks training with Dominic Cruz on The Ultimate Fighter. And then there's a, you know, there's a narrative there. And I can see that that pattern go through his his footwork for the rest of his career. But it's, I I have to watch one fighter and then I have to watch the other fighter from their perspective. And then I do the same the opposite way. So there's a lot of going back over footage. There's a lot of going through stats if I feel like it's relevant. Like with Max Holloway, it's relevant because he gets statistically more accurate as he gets as his work rate increases. It's incredible. The Cater fight was mental. Wasn't it the highest amount of strikes landed or something like that? It, it was crazy. It was brilliant. I mean, he's you know, he's he's a master at work. And 
and for me it's you know it's it's a pleasure to do these things because I see things that if like if I didn't have the time if somebody wasn't paying me to sit down and do this I'm, I might not see some of these things yeah and you know it's 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 like it's like discovering new land sometimes for me when I see something like that I'm like oh now I understand how he set that technique up and all of a sudden like a, a whole new a whole new you know wing of martial arts understanding will open up to me it's it's a journey on a daily basis and you know and we go back to the what we were talking about to start the podcast the challenge is not picking my phone up every five minutes and putting it you know and like staying focused on the fight because I actually see more when I'm forcing myself to watch fights when I'm sick of it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because I get a bit more critical. I get a bit more naturally analytical, I think, because I'm like, now I'm impatient. I'm like, why is he doing that again? Why, why is he dro- Oh, he's dropping his hand again. Okay, then make a note of that. And, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a weird process, but it, it, it just requires a couple of days of me to be completely obsessive. <laughs> yeah. Well, you... You, you touched on um, the, the, a couple of the fights at the weekend, um, and, and I guess two really good examples of the, the pros and cons. Obviously, Anderson looked looked incredible, uh, and Holyfield, not so much. Uh, you know, whether he should have been in there at that age, I, you know, that's up for discussion. Um, what we're seeing now is with this, you know, these organisations that are now, you know, finding hybrids of. YouTubers, boxers, MMA fighters, and, and creating these, you know, legends fights or whatever you want to call them, um, where I guess one of the big draws uh, would be stupid to say otherwise is the money. Um, what are your thoughts on this kind of evolving? Yeah, a, a, a double question here for you, Dan. So, what are your kind of thoughts on, you know, this ever evolving, what seems to be getting a lot of the kind of column inches in on all MMA forums at the moment uh like what your thoughts are on 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 these sort of fights that are happening uh and also have you got any thoughts or any kind of insight into this new organization we're reading about that's going to be launched in 2022 with a 50 50 uh fighter organization pay split so I want to see if you've got any hot goss on that Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um well well, first of all, I mean, your first question, I, I like it. I don't have a problem with it. I, I think, obviously, questions about, about um, Holyfield should be asked. Um, you know, first of all, you know, who whose idea was it to even offer him the fight in the first place? Because, you know, they're risking everything. They're risking the organization. They're risking, you know, people's perspectives of what they're doing. I mean, if they don't care about that, then they're probably not, in the, not the right people to be doing the job in the first place. Like, this is where, you know, we have a duty of care, not only to the fighters, but also how if something happens, it would Im- impact everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Vitor Belfort, fair play to him for being in there. I don't mind whether he's MMA or kickboxing or boxing or whatever. I'll, I'll always watch him. I'd like him to be a bit more drug tested, especially if he's fighting someone who's nearly 60. I mean, that was, it's, it's, yeah. it's just beyond obvious at this point. I mean, we, you know, we, we don't even need to, you don't even need to piss in a cup at this stage. You know, we, I remember what he looked like a few years ago on Cage Rage when he looked like twice the age that he does now. I think Bisping got it right. Said he's going, gone through his first fourth stage of puberty. Like that, <laughs> that's a bit of a concern with these, uh, with, you know, with these, with these events, but Jake Paul and, and you know, fighting Tyron Woodley, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with Tito stepping in there against Anderson <clears throat> Silver. I thought he looked great against Chavez as well. I, if fighters are getting paid, I'm not bothered. 
how they're getting paid, as long as they're safe and they're and they're they're looked after as they're doing that. I mean, we all kind of fall into little boxes, don't we? Are you a kickboxer? Are you a tie boxer? Are you an MMA fighter? You know, we ultimately, you know, if you're an MMA fighter, you're a prize fighter. Like you should be adaptable for to any rule set. Like you could go from UFC rules to one championship rules. You should be able to go from MMA rules to cage Muay Thai rules. You know, you, you should be able to feel like you can transition from one to the next. So all these different promotions offering money, I, I don't mind, you know, get after it, get paid, you know, and, and have a good time doing it. People, you know, as we're talking about with social media, you know, people like to live vicariously and that's what they're getting with these YouTubers. And, that's ultimately what they're getting with these fighters as well. You invest in a fighter's life for their career and you want to go along with the ups and downs and, you know, the, the, the twists and turns and, you know, rap career to boxer to whatever else Tyron Woodley wants to do. If you're a fan of Tyron Woodley's, you'll follow him. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm all for it. I have no problem. Um, regarding the new promotion, um, I, don't really, I don't really know what I can say, to be honest. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. A 50-50 split is exactly what the sport needs you know every sport has gone through this and I think with the, the Muhammad Ali Act being applied to to mixed martial arts I think that definitely changes UFC business practices which is healthy um, I think the class action lawsuit that the UFC are currently facing as well could certainly shake things up a bit I mean they're up against 1200 former fighters so like that that's moving along gradually but certainly and this this new promotion it's the issue that we have in the sport is what's going to compete with the UFC. They have to be massive, mm. don't they? They have, they have to have a huge amount of backing. They have to have loads and loads of cash that's expendable. Well, how do the other leagues do it? How do the other the other organizations like the NFL and the NBA and, and Major League Baseball? Well, no one owns the whole thing, you know? The, the organization run it and then the franchise owners own parts of it, right? Like, that's the way to do it. It's not to... He's not to have one person as like Darth Vader in the whole damn thing. You know, he's <laughs> to have a whole group of people that can have a part ownership of it that are all invested a in the sport and b in the fighters. Now, I can't, I, I can't really say, I can't talk about it to be honest until more information yeah. comes out. But it's, it's very exciting. There's a lot of big names involved. I think everybody that hears about it will agree that it's the right way to go for the sport of mixed martial arts. And I think that. Uh, any promotions that are trying to cling on to fighters, they, they're going to be quaking in their boots when this, if, if this comes to pass, because it, it could, it could be a game changer. It could be a real big thing for the sport. I don't know how it feels to, to, to you two, but if certainly for me over the last sort of two, three, four months, fighter pay in the UFC seems to have been talked about way more than it's ever been spoken about. Yeah. Yeah, and that's got to be a good thing, right? It's it's great, and you know what's funny? You know, we have, we have to thank Jake Paul to to a certain extent. It required someone to be bulletproof and have a pocket full of cash and have nothing to lose, but kind of be in the combat sports area. You know, I mean, Floyd Mayweather could have done it, but he's he's on the wrong side of the team, and he's he's on the money side of the team. He, mm. He's he'll, he'll pay guys in his gym to spar, but only because he knows he can make double that on his YouTube views or whatever. Mm. It's it's a different kind of mentality, you know. Like, I like what Jake Paul's doing. He's clearly he's clearly a quite an intelligent dude. I think the game that he's playing is very much a mask. I think he I think he knows the game that he's playing. I think he knows how to a get people invested and b provoke people. And um, 
pointing out the fighter pay thing, he has no reason to be doing that. I mean, you know, what, what's the purpose? He's not going to get the Masvidal fight because Dana will not release Masvidal to fight him. You know, he, it, he better watch himself if he's ever in Miami, though. I mean, I think he's, he's got to have that entourage with him. But, but the thing, but reality is, Masvidal, Masvidal's smart enough to realize what's going on here. He's smart enough to realize he's basically being used as a pawn to put pressure on Dana. Because, like, in Masvidal's eyes, if he was under contract, who's he going to fight next? Is he going to fight Leon Edwards for. 150,000 or is he going to fight Jake Paul for 15 million or whatever he would make? It's a silly question. We all know what the answer to the question is. The only thing stopping him doing it is that he's under contract with the UFC. And again, you know, it comes back to the Muhammad Ali act. Like how long can you hold a fighter in contract? How long has it been since John Jones fought? You know, what happened with the heavyweight title, the interim title being created because Ngannou wanted to wait an extra month to fight. Crazy. It's nonsense, you know. And we're seeing these games being played now, and we're all getting becoming more aware of it. And then we've got this twenty-four-year-old YouTube kid that's beating up old MMA fighters and talking about it every opportunity he gets. It's an interesting time, and then a new MMA league coming onto the scene as well. I mean, exciting, exciting. I mean, yeah, that sounds. Uh, yeah, I do. Just, I mean, as you say, uh, it'd be interesting to see how it all plays out because it does feel so strange in that this one organization just monopolizes as as much as we have bellator cage warriors one and all those things that we we saw recently with the the aj mckee pitbull fight such an incredible fight like one of the highest level featherweight fights we'll get and it got like according to you know whoever does those kind of pay-per-view stats we like a hundred thousand buys or a hundred thousand views, whatever it was. And the, the same night there was the Strickland Uriah Hall fight. And it was like eight times the amount of viewers. And it's like, how is that? The level was not the same, but yet the UFC as a brand, you know, doffer the cap to them. They've done an incredible job of branding themselves and, and making themselves the one-stop shop for, for mixed martial arts. And they say, there's a lot of people out there that probably still to this day recognize UFC rather than MMA. And for sure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, but that's, you know, that is what the UFC have done so well is, is they've, they've guarded that brand so, so well. And they've made sure that no one else has been bigger than the brand. You know, the, the, this is, it's, it's always UFC over everything, you know, and, and I think they realize that they probably have created a couple of monsters. I mean, Goldie was the first one, you know, they got rid of him, but then he takes a piece of the UFC brand with him because he's so synonymous with the name and he moves over to Bellator. And that was, you know, that was, it's the same, same thing with Joe Rogan. So like, if you move Goldie over to Bellator and, and then you take Bruce Buffer and move him over to Bellator, all of a sudden now people like, is it the UFC? It might might be the UFC. They hear Goldie. It yeah. sounds like the UFC. It's a familiarity thing, you know. It's familiarity with the brand, and and I think you know, to not not wanted to kind of pull it back to, to myself, but I kind of feel like that's the way that the the whole separation with me and the UFC was played, is because my name has kind of become synonymous with the UFC brand. So if they just go amicable parting of ways and I'm back on the market. I'm a piece of UFC branding that can then be applied to one or Bellator or whoever else. So they tried to, <laughs> they tried to, you know, basically defame me a, a little bit just to slow that down. I mean, fortunately it didn't, it didn't happen. It hasn't happened, but that that's, that's what they realize. That's what they recognize. I mean, you know, 
inside the octagon. You know, the, the Dan Hardy Breakdown show didn't used to be a thing. Inside the octagon was a show that was running for six years. And when they fired me, they tried to keep that show going with a bunch of different people. And it, it just, it's, it's, it, it's no more. Mm. But that's that's the danger of investing in an individual. They become a part of the brand and then you have to rely on that individual to play the ball. And I think maybe I was a bit too much of a bit too much of a risk to be playing ball with. Well, you you speak, you mentioned that, and I know we're really short time. We've gone like over an hour already, and we're so appreciative of your time, Dan. Yeah, I can talk for England. It's on me. Well, uh, <laughs> all right then, mate. Yeah, it's your fault. So I'm going to ask you a few more questions. <laughs> um, but you mentioned commentating. You are a voice that we miss as a commentator. I know you're on Cage Warriors. Um, and as much as we love Cage Warriors and we've got Fight Pass and we'll be going to events and all that kind of stuff, there's a lot of UFC fans that don't have Fight Pass and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, have you had offers? Are you going to be at Bellator or One or whoever as a, a commentator? Yeah, I'm, I'm having a few conversations actually now. Um, uh, conversations with one championship across across the board. Actually, we're already creating a, a bit of content partnered with them to promote their upcoming events. And I mean, they're doing great things. And, and I, yeah. I'm hoping this John Wayne Parr fight comes together. But the, you know, I've also spoken to them about about potentially commentating. They they've got a lot of moving parts. You know, yeah. it seems everybody coming out of the pandemic, all of a sudden they're like hitting the ground running and they've got loads of new plans. So, you know, one championship and moving into, into the West, you know, they've got that deal with TNT in the U S and Bellator assigned with, uh, with BBC iPlayer, which is massive. So I've I've got a a couple of really good conversations going at the moment Uh, and well, and, and probably three on the periphery. There's, there's quite a few plates spinning. I'm not exactly sure which direction I'm going to go. The truth is I'm enjoying being around my fighters every day now and, and, and training them because, you know, See, seeing them improve on a daily basis is really what what it's all about. But I I do love commentary, and I I will be stepping back in there. Um, and it will be one with 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 one of the big organisations. I'm just not exactly sure which. Right. Well, just so you know, Stu, myself, uh, Scrubius Pip, I believe you've been on his podcast, and yeah. and an MMA commentator and comedian Brian Lacey. We're going to start up the Welterweight Legends League. This has been something that we've been talking about for a long time. Fans of the show are well aware of it. It's like yourself, Woodley, Matt Brown, Condit, the Diaz brothers, you know, all those kind of Welterweight Legends. I mean, as a fighter and a commentator, you're more than welcome. I'm just, uh, cards on the table. The budget is zero right now. (laughs) But I'm sure once you agree live on air, verbal contract. Uh, then you know the, the, the money will roll in. So just that offers also on the table for you, just to contemplate when you're weighing up these things. I'll definitely keep that in mind. It's it's one of the most appealing that I've had so far. I will say. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, Dan. Lastly, can I just ask you, like, what your thoughts are? I mean, we've we've just come off the back of a uh, a couple of weekends ago seeing uh, an incredible display of British fighters uh, in the UFC. Um, I'm going to double load this question as well. Um, did you, when you was, you know, fighting back in the day, uh, when there was maybe you, Brad, Bispin, did you feel a weight of expectation as a British fighter, being as there was only a kind of handful of you in the UFC? Did you feel that expectation? And and then, you know, tell us about the, the, the British fighters that you're really excited about at the moment. Yeah, I, I definitely did feel an expectation because it was almost like a tentative bridge to the UFC had been made and we needed to reinforce that bridge with with good performances. 
to make make sure it was open for all the rest of the generations because you know mm. like we want all our mates and our you know our teammates and you know future fighters of ours to be to be crossing that bridge as well so uh, yeah it did feel important and and not only important in in the sense of you know bridging that gap between England and uh, the USC but also also educating the public you know like i said we were doing a lot of interviews back in the day radio interviews newspaper and and, and the like which was less about our careers individually and more about what MMA was and, you know, why we should be allowed to do it. Um, so I think that was a bit of a, I mean, we were kind of, we were all on a bit of a crusade back in the day, you know, trying to, trying to spread the word and, you know, tell everybody about this and that and passing flyers out and such lending people DVDs. Um, but it was a good time to be, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful and fortunate to have been a part of that process, you know, and, and also very humbled by all of the people that came before me, you know, the, the Ian Freemans and Mark Weirs and Lee Remedius as that, uh, you know, James Zickets, the guys that led the way um, that started, uh, started this journey of mixed martial arts in the UK. Um, and as far as, as far as talent in the UK, it, it's a very exciting time. Uh, and I think, you know, we'll see that definitely at the Cage Warriors trilogy coming up. Um, golden ticket, as I said, in, in Wolverhampton, before we started recording, has got a big stack of my guys on the card. So, um, and they're all killers. I mean, this you know we 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 don't we don't have anything but killers in my gym, we, and they're all different as well. You know, we've got we've got some guys that will will drag you to the floor and wrap a leg up. We've got some guys that will jump on a neck and choke you out. Other guys will set you up for a beautiful head kick knockout. It's it's a good time to be a, to be a part of a, a team like this, um, and we're enjoying it, which is why we started documenting it on the YouTube channel. Um, and Cage Warriors just generally, I think, have got the the best crop of UK talent right now. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing, I mean, obviously the guy, I'm, the kid I'm working with that's on Cage Warriors next is Adam Amasinga. And I, I have high hopes for him. Um, but, you know, we, we've got a lot of guys, you know, um, up at Next Generation, they're doing great things. You know, we, we've seen Paddy and we've seen Molly and, and know how well they're doing. But you've also got to look at the Nathan Fletchers underneath them that oh, fight on yes. Cage Warriors. And, yep. You know, um, yeah. I mean, we just kind of spoil it for choice, aren't we? Um, it feels like a bit of a golden age in a lot of ways. Yeah, a little bit. Just the amount, like you, as you said, you said you had yourself and Bisping really leading the way. But now I feel like we've got 10, 12 or whatever people to get really excited about, like like Paddy, like Arnold Allen, like Tom Aspinall, like all these people. Nathan Fletcher, I think, is a great shout. Mm. I think the future's really high for him. And we've had him on the show before, and I think we're going to have him on again soon. That's just just so many now. Leon Edwards as well. Uh, there's so many people to be yeah. excited about now, and hopefully that that burden of expectation of a nation is spread across a few more shoulders than what it was in your day. Yeah, for sure. But I, but I also think you know that I think it's healthy as well because you know the, the the pool gets deeper and the competitiveness between the guys. I mean, Ian Gary's obviously just signed to yeah. uh, signed to the UFC and. You know, he's a really exciting prospect. So, you know, we're all hoping big things for him. Um, I, I think, you know, every now and then when we see a guy make that transition, everyone's like, oh, okay, let's see how he does because we then know where he compares with the rest of the, uh, you know, the, the rest of the division and, and Europe. You know, one other fight I've got to shout out as well is Paul Hughes coming up. He's fighting. Yes. Oh, speaking I mean, to him next week, then. What a banger that's going to be. I, I can't mm. wait. You know, there, there are a few guys that every time I see their name pop up on Cage Warriors, I'm like, okay, 
let's keep an eye on this guy. I want to make sure I'm standing cage side for this fight because I, I have a feeling that at some point in the future he's going to be a world champion. And I'll be able to go, ah, I remember that day when, yeah. when, <laughs> when, when the boys were sitting up on the mezzanine and I gave them that thumbs up. And I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, there should be no social distancing at the next one. So hopefully, Dan, we can come down and we can, we can, uh, we can get you a drink and we can shake your hand, man. It'd be, it'd be lovely to, to meet you in person. But uh, honestly, it's been an absolute privilege to get an get an opportunity to sit and talk to you today thanks so much Dan no thank you guys it's been great I've really enjoyed our conversation you've, you've challenged my brain and maybe maybe do some deep thinking and no, that's well, always that's, appreciated that's what I'm all about mate you've seen my work I'm all about that high intellect <laughs> I'm just a deep individual just, I'm so I'm so deep I'm so... <laughs> and, and, a, and a big thanks to Scroobius Pip for putting this together Absolutely. and introducing yes. us so thanks Pip yeah. Dan, awesome. you're a legend. Wishing you all the best as a coach. Hopefully the commentating thing comes up and that John Wayne par fight or anything else that, that goes for you. We just we just wish you all the best and hopefully we'll see you at the Cage Warriors, mate. Thanks, Greg. Absolutely. See you at Cage Warriors. Oh, man. <laughs> good was that? That was so good. The funny thing is, once we finally did say goodbye to Dan, because you always have a little brief chat after after you press stop and stuff, you always have a little brief, brief chat and peeling the curtain back for you there. But as soon as we actually did, uh, Dan hung up and he went away, Stu did a little kind of, little kind of like fangirly, ah, moment of just being like, oh, my God. It was way more manly than that. You proper sold me out there. Definitely, like a- definitely. <laughs> he wasn't manly but I totally get it I totally get it he's such a legend a legend in oh. the cage a legend as a a commentator the analysis he's now coaching I mean god he's 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 just and he's so articulate and impressive yeah. the way the way he spit I mean he's I'm amazed I'm sure he's just weighing up options and just getting the most money he can because why the hell not but I am amazed that he's not been straight into commentating for another organisation yeah. um, obviously there's stuff on the table for him as he mentioned but I mean everyone will want Dan Hardy commentating on their fights everyone I want Dan Hardy in my corner in life yeah <laughs> oh yeah I mean he was saying stuff where like I mean I was like I wasn't joking but I was like god I need to take a minute because that advice of like yeah. just 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 Going to like your your deathbed and going, what would I think of this moment when I'm yeah. when I'm on my deathbed? What amazing advice that is! Love that. Absolutely, and uh, we, we thank Pip at the end uh, for, for um, hooking us up with Dan. And, and I should say as well, um, Dan's been on Pip's Distraction Pieces podcast twice, uh, and they're absolutely incredible listens. So go go check them out, um, and also. Uh, Pips also had a few other uh, MMA fighters on MVP and Rory McDonald. Rory McDonald, yeah. So uh, and obviously you can hear Pip and Brian Lacey on uh, many of our back catalogue episodes. They're uh, they're part of the live the live show uh, gang. Um, but yeah, Dan Hardy, we've had him on the podcast, Blake. I know. That's it. I read his book ages ago. His book's great. We didn't really, um, we didn't really mention. Well, I mentioned of the book, but I think it's part reptile is is, is his book. Uh, I mean, go out and get that. Get it on, you know, your audibles or, or hardback or whatever it is you're going to do. But uh, but that's a really great. I mean, I could have chatted to him for so much longer. I had so yeah. many more questions that I wanted to talk to him about, and we already like, ran over the hour. I was like taking a piss here a little bit. 
because we didn't get into enough of like his coaching at Rough House and all that stuff. So hopefully he said he'd do it again sometime. So hopefully verbal contract. Verbal contract. That's it. And he's part of the World to Eight Le- Legends League now as well. That's it. Official. Official. Officially done. Um, but yeah, I, it's just such a pleasure to have him on. What a great great man and that sounds like a weird thing to say he's a great man but I do think he is I think he's just a really great bloke and like an intelligent bloke I'm fangirling now aren't I I need to just stop talking um, but yeah there well, you look, go. Um, if this is your first time listening to the podcast then, then go check out the, the back catalogue because um, there's uh, there's probably about 50 episodes now um, and you can hear us talking to uh, some of the people that we spoke about uh, in this episode you can hear us talking to Ian Gary you can hear us talking um, to Paddy Pimlet, Molly McCann um, Tom Torren Woodley Tom, uh, Tom Aspinall, Aspinall Nathan Fletcher uh, Volkanovski mm. yep look, we've look. got we've, we've had them all on there we've mate. had them all we've on them mate all on. we've had Dan on we've had them all on mate that's it exactly mate right <laughs> well Guys, thanks very much for listening. Give this a, a little rate, a subscribe, a little retweet. I don't know, whatever it is people do nowadays to make make things look good on their socials or or subscribing and, and rating and reviewing on, on the old uh, iTunes podcast thing or whatever it is. You you do all the technical stuff. I don't know what I'm talking about. They know what they're doing. They know they what, know they're, what they're, doing. they're doing. They know it. And check us out Just on YouTube. Nice. YouTube now as well. We're on the YouTube. We have to keep yes. talking about YouTube. We've got a few of our back catalogue up there on YouTube now. Did you say the YouTube? YouTube. The YouTube. That was, you said, the YouTube. Oh, we're on the YouTube's now. We're on, we're on the YouTube's. The YouTube's. You can see us and everything. Yeah, you can see our ugly mugs on the YouTube and compare which beard is greyer, mine or Stu's. Uh, and yeah, that's a fun game to play. It's like Dan was saying he's forty, so Dan's about like, oh, he's forty soon, so he's about four years older than me, and he doesn't have a single grey hair in his beard, not a yeah. single one. And I'm over here looking like friggin' I don't know Moses or something like at the end of Ten Commandments. Moses. At the end of Ten Commandments. Um, but uh, yes, right, guys. We'll see you later. Bye.